Hello everyone and welcome to Bookish Babbles, the podcast where we reread our favorite books and chat about them. I'm your host Allison, and without further ado, let's get started. everyone and welcome to episode 31 of bookish babbles today we are talking about chapters 22 to 24 of catching fire by suzanne collins Woo! we got this then one more episode about catching fire then we start all our wrap-up and fun stuff ah and also be on the lookout for bonus episodes and stuff because you know still working on that i'm really good at this guys <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't have too much going on. Um, the weather's getting colder. I have a new flannel. Uh, still working. You know, just 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 life. Oh, and I'm very into Anne of Green Cables right now, which is the perfect time because it's October. But anyway, yeah, I don't have much going on this week. So I guess we'll just dive into the episode. No more beating around the bush. Okay, so last week, uh, Katniss and Peeta wind up in an alliance with Phoenix. Phoenix, Phoenix, <laughs> with Finnick and Mags, uh, Mags dies after they're attacked by poisonous fog, and a killer monkey almost gets Peta, but the female morphling from District Six saves his life. Uh, this week, Katniss and Peta join an even bigger alliance. Plot twist: the arena is a clock, and even more death happens. What do you know? So, with all that being said, let's dive into chapter 22. Okay, so we pick up right where we left off. Uh, the woman from Six jumped out, putting herself between Peta and the killer monkey, which uh, predictably results in a fatal wound. Peta repeatedly stabs the monkey until it falls off the woman. The group is ready to keep fighting, but for some reason, the monkeys start withdrawing back to the jungle. Still, Finnick and Katniss keep their weapons ready while Peta picks up the morphling and carries her the rest of the way to the beach. And from just one look at her wounds, it's clear that nothing can be done to save her life. Um, nothing they can do now but stay with her while she dies. And there's a really sad passage uh, starting at the bottom of page uh, 3... 11 that kind of perfectly represents how sad the unnamed morphling's life was she lies on the sand gasping like a fish out of water sagging skin sickly green her ribs as prominent as a child's dead of starvation surely she could have afforded food but turned to morphling just as hamish turned to drink i guess everything about her speaks of waste her body her life, the vacant look in her eyes. I hold one of her twitching hands, unclear whether it moves from the poison that affected our nerves, the shock of the attack, or withdrawal from the drugs that was her sustenance. There's nothing we can do now. Nothing but stay with her while she dies. And then Peta does what Peta does best, and that's comforting people and caring for them. And also seeming to know what they need, because he knows exactly what will comfort the morphling in her final moments. So Peter starts talking about his paint set back home. He talks about how 
the different colors are in his paint box. And this seems to work since uh, the Morphling is hanging on to his every word. Uh, he, Peter then um, recounts the time he spent three days mixing paint to get the right shade for sunlight on white fur. And he can't quite get a hold of painting a rainbow just yet since they don't last long enough for him to study. And as she's uh, completely entranced by Peta's words, the morphling paints a flower on Peta's cheek and then she dies. Uh, but she at least gets one moment of joy when Peta compliments her painting. And it, it, it's so sad that we never learn her name. Uh, anyway, uh, Peta carries the morphling's body out to the water and she floats out until the hovercraft comes to collect her body. Then Finnick rejoins them, having collected a bunch of Katniss's arrows, and he says there were no signs of the monkeys, so it's safe to try and get water again. And since it's still dark out, they try and get some more rest. Finnick volunteers to take watch, and Katniss lets him, realizing that he needs some privacy to mourn Mags, because that was barely an hour ago. Uh, Katniss reflects on how much her dynamic with Finnick has changed because just the previous morning Finnick was on her kill list and now Katniss doesn't hesitate to let Finnick stand guard while she sleeps. I mean, hard not to think highly of him after he saved Peta's life multiple times, even let Mags go into the fogs to get Peta to safety. Uh, Katniss sleeps until mid-morning and Peta is still out cold next to her and... Finnick is kept busy while they slept, uh, since there's a grat mat suspended over them to provide to provide <laughs> to protect them from the sun. Uh, Finnick uh, also made two ba baskets uh, for water and another filled with shellfish. Uh, Katniss then goes to wash herself in the water since um, she has been scratching herself in her sleep and the scabs are now bloody. And she then, like, out loud asks Hamish to send them something for their scabs. And it actually works, because he does send her something. And the medicine instantly makes her skin feel better. But according to Finnick, it looks like uh, they're decomposing. And and this is the conversation they have. It's great. Uh, it's on page uh, 316. Katniss. Poor Finnick. Is this the first time in your life you haven't looked pretty? Finnick. It must be. The sensation's completely new. How have you managed all these years? <laughs> Katniss, just avoid mirrors. You'll forget about it. Finnick, not if I keep looking at you. And then they decide to have a little fun by playing a practical joke on PETA. And this is still on page uh, 316. So Katniss says, like, I'm going to wake PETA. No, wait, says Finnick. Let's do it together. Put our faces right in front of his. Well, there's so little opportunity for fun left in my life, I agree. We position ourselves on either side of Peta, lean o over until our faces are inches from his nose, and give him a shake. Peta, Peta, wake up, I say in a soft sing-song voice. His eyelids flutter open and he jumps like we've stabbed him. Ah! <laughs> Finnick and I fall back in the sand, laughing our heads off. Every time we try to stop, we look at Peta's attempt to maintain a disdainful expression, and it sets us off again. By the time we pull ourselves together, I'm thinking that maybe Finnick O'Dare is alright. At least not as vain or self-important as I thought. Not so bad at all, really. And just as I've come to this t conclusion, a parachute lands next to us with a fresh loaf of bread. Re remembering from last year how Hamish's gifts are often time to send a message, I make a note to myself— 
Be friends with Finnick. You'll get food. So uh, Finnick takes the bread and Katniss notices that it's in a kind of possessive way, which is a bit weird, but Katniss brushes it off by assuming that it's bread from home and, you know, makes him think of, think of Mags. And for a while, they hang out on the beach, not very eager to go back into the jungle, where obviously a lot of dangers are. Uh, eventually, they hear some screaming because, you know, everything was getting a little too quiet. Uh, can't have that in the Hunger Games. Then a giant wave comes out of nowhere and thankfully stops on the other side of the water from where Katniss and crew are, though that doesn't stop some water from coming up to their knees. And between the three of them, they're able to save their stuff from floating away. And just as they settle down, Katniss sees three figures emerge out of the jungle. At a glance, Katniss can tell that they're in bad shape. One has to be carried by the other, and the third is just kind of going in circles. And they look like they're covered in red paint. Uh, who, who is this tree, you may ask? Um, Joanna, Wyrus, and Vidi. Uh, Phoenix's the one who recognizes them and runs over calling Joanna's name. And just like that, Katniss and Peeta now have more allies. I love how Katniss, like, starts off every Hunger Games determined to go alone, or in this case, uh, with just Peeta, but always ends up with more friends than she bargains for. <laughs> As an introvert, I can confirm this is exactly how I end up in most friend groups. I get close with one or two people, and at least one of them's an extrovert, and before I know it, I get roped into hanging out with a whole group, and by the time I've realized what's happened, it's too late. I'm already in deep with the friendship with that one particular person. Anyway, <laughs> uh, when they get close, uh, we learn why um, they're covered in the red stuff. It's, it's not paint, it's blood. Because uh, uh, they were wandering in the jungle and it started raining and they were excited because they thought, yay, finally have some water to drink. But surprise, it wasn't rain. Uh, it was blood because, you know, n not the kind of surprise they wanted, obviously. And uh, while they were wandering in the blood rain, practically blind, uh, Blight, who was Joanna's district partner, hit the force field. And unlike Peta, there was no way to help him, so he died. And it was definitely hard for Joanna, because, you know, Blight was someone from home, a fellow victor, and probably one of the only people Joanna talked to, though she won't admit it. And the most we get from her is when, like, she says in regard to Blight, he wasn't much, but he was from home. And he left her alone to look after Wyrus and Beatty up until now, because, you know, met up with this trio. And kind of quick side note, so uh, going back to the whole, like, Joanna knowing Blight and them being kind of friends. So we know that um, from what she says later on, that everyone she loves is gone, because, you know, that's what Snow does to Victor's. Um, if they do something he doesn't like, he kills their loved ones. And Blight was probably one of the few people Joanna felt comfortable talking to back home since it's unlikely Snow would kill him off if Joanna did something wrong because, you know, Blight's also a victor. Uh, but anyway, ju just another sad thought because, you know, no one in this series is allowed to be happy. Okay, so apparently uh, BD got a literal knife in the back uh, during the bloodbath because he was trying to get a coil of wires. Um, as for Wyrus, uh, she is currently going in circles saying tick-tock, tick-tock all over again. Insert some joke about cursed clock app here. 
but I can't think of a good one. So we're moving on from that. Um, Joanna's run out of patience with Wyrus and it's very sick of her saying TikTok, you know, over and over again and ends up pushing Wyrus and telling her to stay down. Uh, this triggers Katniss yelling at Joanna to, you know, leave Wyrus alone, which is kind of the last straw for Joanna, I guess. Uh, she starts yelling and cursing at Katniss. Uh, she starts to say, like, she got Wyrus and Beatty out of the jungle for Katniss. And Finnick cuts her off by picking Joanna up and repeatedly dunking her in the water. And Joanna's still cursing at Katniss every time she comes up for air. Though Katniss is a little bit confused now. Uh, after all, why would Joanna rescue Beatty and Wyrus for her? Uh, no time to dwell on that, you know, gotta tend to Beatty's wounds, and to do so, they have to strip his jumpsuit off, though Katniss handles this much better than she did when she had to heal Peeta and strip his clothes off, since in the past year, her kitchen table has seen so many naked men, uh, she's numb to it now. Okay, then uh, Katniss finds uh, the leaf moss stuff in the jungle that Mags gave her earlier to blow her nose and it seems to help. Uh, after making sure that Beatty's taken care of, Katniss checks on Wyrus who's just, you know, chilling in the water, probably having the best time out of everyone in the group. Uh, she helps Wyrus start to clean up and the whole time Wyrus is telling her TikTok like she's urgently trying to tell Katniss something, but without Beatty there to be the interpreter, Katniss is at a loss for what's going on. Uh, Fiddink uh, gets everyone up to speed on what's been happening on their end. Um, you know, the fog, monkeys, mags. Uh, Katniss and Joanna stay up and guard while everyone sleeps. Uh, Joanna asks what happens to mags, and Katniss explains. And there's just a couple pages left, so I'll just read from there to the end of the chapter since um, Katniss has a pretty important revelation at the end of it. <clears throat> So it starts with Joanne asking, how'd you lose Mags? In the fog, uh, Finnick had Peta. I had Mags for a while, then I couldn't lift her. Finnick said he couldn't take them both. She kissed him and walked right into the poison, I say. She was Finnick's mentor, you know, Joanna says accusingly. No, I didn't, I say. She was half his family, she says a few moments later, but there was less venom behind it. We watched the water lap up uh, over the the undergarments. So, what were you doing with nuts and volts, I ask? I told you, I got them for you. Hamish said if we were to be allies, I had to bring them to you, says Joanna. That's what you told him, right? No, I think, but I nod my head in assent. Uh, thanks. I appreciate it. I hope so. She gives me a look filled with loathing, like I'm the biggest drag possible in her life. I wonder if this is what it's like to have an older sister who really hates you. TikTok, I hear behind me. I turn and see Wyrus has crawled over. Her eyes are focused on the jungle. Oh, good. She's back. Okay, I'm going to sleep. You you and Nuts uh, can guard together, Joanna says. She goes over and flings herself down beside Finnick. TikTok, whispers Wyrus. I guide her in fr front of me and get her to lie down, stroking her arm to soothe her. She drifts off, stirring restlessly, occasionally sighing out her phrase, TikTok. Tick-tock, I agree softly. It's time for bed. Tick-tock, go to sleep. The sun rises in the sky until it's directly over us. It must be noon, I think, absently. Not that it matters. Across the water, off to the right, I see the enormous flash as the lightning bolt hits the tree and the electrical storm begins again. 
right in the same area it did last night. Someone must have moved into its range, triggering triggered the attack. I sit for a while watching the lightning, keeping Wyrus calm, lulled into a sort of peacefulness by the lapping of the water. I think of last night, how the lightning began just after the bell tolls, twelve bongs. Tick-tock, Wyrus says, surfacing to consciousness for a moment and then going back under. Twelve bongs last night, like it was midnight, then lightning, the sun overhead now, like it's noon, and lightning. Slowly I rise up and survey the arena, the lightning there, in the pot. In the next pie wedge over came the blood rain, where Joanna, Virus, and Beatty were caught. We would have been in the third section, right next to that when the fog appeared, and as soon as it was sucked away, the monkeys began to gather in the fourth. Tick-tock. My head snaps to the other side. A couple of hours ago, around ten, that wave came out of the second section to the left where the lightning strikes now. At noon, at midnight, at noon. Tick-tock, Wyra says in her sleep, as the lightning ceases and the blood rain begins just to the right of it. Her words suddenly make sense. Oh, I say under my breath, tick-tock. My eyes sweep around the full circle of the arena, and I know she's right. Tick-tock. This is a clock. So with that being said, it is break time and more stuff will happen when we come back, as it tends to do. Hello, we are back. So we pick up right where we left off. Katniss is looking around and realizes that Wyrus is right. The whole arena is set up like a clock with the new horror set in each section. Lightning, blood rain, fog, monkeys, and other stuff. Uh, Katniss wakes everyone up, realizing how the close they are to the fog, and she explains Wyrus's clock theory. Everyone except Joanna is convinced. And Wyrus is finally happy that someone finally understood her. And then Katniss remembers the night of the party at the president's mansion during her victory tour when uh, Plutarch showed her his watch and he said it starts at midnight. Almost like he was giving her a clue about the arena. Hmm. Uh, probably because at the at the time, you know, she was still going to be a mentor. But, uh, you know, no, no time to think about that. Um... They determine that the blood rain is at 1.30 and at 2 is the poison, when the poisonous fog begins. Uh, they gather their stuff and head to the cornucopia to get a better view of the clock theory and to go over the weapons again. And Joanne and Katniss continue to um, clash, I guess. <laughs> Basically, like, Joanna wonders out loud um, why Beatty wants the coil of wire so badly since he literally risked his life for it in the cornucopia. Beatty says it's because, you know, it's the best weapon Beatty could have since he won his games by electrocuting the other tributes, hence his nickname Volts. And Katniss calls Joanna out, so after all, wouldn't Joanna be able to piece that together? But uh, us knowing what we know now, that there's, you know, literally a whole plan in place to get Katniss and Peeta out of the arena and Joanna's in on it. I, I don't know. I think Joanna's behavior in this moment makes a little more sense. I, I don't know. I think she's trying to deflect and not make the audience think about that. Because, uh, 
I mean, the plan all along probably was for BD to use the wire and the lightning tree to destroy the force field around the arena, but <laughs> we all know things don't exactly go according to plan. Uh, but anyway, uh, Joanna deflects from Katniss, like, calling her out by reminding Katniss that, you know, she got Max killed. You know, nice Joanna, real nice. Anyway, uh, as they make their way to the cornucopia, Katniss reflects on how different her position is now at this point in the games, you know, versus the previous year, because last year she was still on her own, and now she's in a group with multiple fighters. And there's a good line on page uh, 329 that says, yes, it's great to have allies, as long as you can ignore the thought that you'll have to kill them. Which is so dark, but true. And... Then Katniss's internal monologue is basically, well, Wyrus and Beatty get will get killed on, off on their own. Joanna's pissing me off, so I'll have no problem killing her. And as for Finnick, well, let's just hope someone does it for me. You know, these are really dark thoughts. Change topic, change topic. Imagine killing Snow. Ah, that's better. <laughs> that's exactly how it's written in the book, I promise. I'm totally not being sarcastic, guys. <laughs> You can look for yourselves. Uh, anyway, they get to the cornucopia. Um, Peta sets uh, Beatty down in the shade, and Beatty gives Wyrus his coil of wire to go clean in the water, a decision he will very soon regret. Uh, but for now, Wyrus is happy is happily cleaning the wire and singing Hickory Dickory Dock, and Joanna just sighs and goes, not that song again. Please, not again. <laughs> Which is... What anyone in my car would say, because I keep playing Running Up That Hill on repeat. My mom once got sick of me playing multiple Taylor Swift songs in a row. She's never experienced that, though. She got off easy with the Taylor Swift. It could be so much worse with me. But anyway, uh, the rest of the group talks about how the fog kicks in at two, just like Wyrus predicted. And they praise her as a genius, as they should. Uh, Beatty even praises Wyrus for how intuitive she is by comparing her to a canary in the District 12 mines, you know, sensing things before anyone else does. And to anyone wondering what a canary is, it's a bird that they send down into the mines because uh, it can warn the miners of bad air when they stop singing. So uh, basically, if the bird stops singing, get out. And if the air is real bad, it'll die. And then Katniss, you know, uh, has a slightly chaotic inner monologue. Continue. Take two, Allison. And then Katniss's slightly chaotic inner monologue continues. Uh, to sum it up, it's basically, oh no, dying songbirds makes me think of Rue and Maisley Donner and Gale down the mines where he could easily die. Nope, nope, nope. Don't think of that. Imagine stabbing Snow. That's better. I think that's accurate. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Joanna finds a couple axes and looks the happiest Katniss has ever seen her, which a little scary when you remember how incredibly deadly she is with axes. Because, you know, she's from Seven and has been wielding axes since she was a little kid. And here Katniss points out how there's another reason that the kids in District 12 are at a major, major disadvantage in the games, typically, because they don't work in their industry until they're 18, which is good because, you know, mines are dangerous and you don't want to send children down there. So that's the one good thing Ben M does, I guess. Um, you know, not force children into mines. They're just, but th- but they are comfortable letting them starve to death. So win some, you lose some, I guess. Uh, you know, but you know, if the kids went into the mines earlier, 
then they could go into the arena knowing how to blow things up and, you know, being able to wield uh, pickaxes. But, uh, you know, nothing in Panem is ever fair, though. Uh, anyway, while Katniss is going through the weapons, Peta is drawing because it's what he does. But in all seriousness, this is useful drawing. He's making a map of the arena divided into 12 slices to, of course, represent uh, the clock set up for the whole place. Um, you know, good to have a visual and try to figure out what all the different dangers are and where not to be at certain times. And then, bam, something happens, which... I- it's just a summary of the whole last third of the book because in the previous book it felt like we were in the arena for a freaking long time but now it's like one thing after the other we can't keep up which is probably how Katniss feels so good writing Suzanne uh but anyway uh Katniss realizes something's wrong because Wyrus has stopped singing so she immediately loads an arrow but by the time she turns around Gloss has already slit Wyrus's throat and it's too late to save her uh, but Katniss still manages to shoot an arrow into Gloss's temple. Then a second later, Joanna buries an axe into Kashmir's chest. And just like that, two careers are dead. Uh, Katniss is really good at killing tributes from one, I guess. Um, Phoenix saves Peta from Brutus's spear, but takes a knife uh, from Enabaria in the thigh. Katniss also notes that if it wasn't for the cornucopia providing them some cover, both Brutus and Enabaria would be dead dead. Uh, three cannons go off, and Katniss pursues the remaining career tributes. And then the whole island starts spinning. Because, you know, just as, as they have the whole clock system figured out, game makers go, psych, we're going to change it up now. And nothing anyone can do now except hang on for dear life. Um, when the spinning stops, Katniss sees that the dead bodies are gone. Uh, Peta, Finnick, and Joanna have managed to hang on. Finnick has to go rescue Beatty. And to really drive home the fact how quickly everything just happened, Katniss estimates that the time between when Wyrus stopped singing to the island being done spinning was no more than a minute or two. And as Finnick is rescuing Beta, Beta, as Finnick is rescuing Beatty, Katniss remembers his wire and how important it was to him. So she looks for it and realizes that Wyrus still has it. Uh, so before the hovercraft can take her body, Katniss has to swim out and get it, which just, uh, I can't imagine having to do that. Um, you know, getting something off the body of a friend who was alive just minutes ago. And all Katniss can really do for Wyrus in that moment is, you know, close her eyes and quickly say goodbye to her, which is really sad because Wyrus deserves a good send-off like Rue. Um, also, this is like a small thing, but it's Another instance of Katniss kind of working against the capital and not playing the games the way they want her to because, you know, the whole idea of the games is survival of the fittest, every man for themselves, that sort of thing. No room for compassion because y'all have to kill each other in the end. But here, Katniss went out of her way to get the wire for Beatty because she knows how much it means to him and it'll be a small comfort to him after just losing his friend and in the end it'll save them because that coil of wire is how they'll be able to blow up the force field in the end so good job Katniss once again doing something uh unexpected that ends up saving everyone well almost everyone but let's not get into that uh Katniss rejoins the group at the cornucopia BD at least still has his, his glasses so 
that that's a win thank goodness and another reason i would not win the hunger games because i am blind without my contacts or glasses guys i would trip lose my glasses and just like that i'd be done i lost uh anyway everyone's a bit uh somber uh katniss realizes that she's the only one who still has her district partner which is so sad especially because we all know that these victors are in on the plan to get out they know going into the arena is a is a risk no matter what but they at least have hope of getting out with their friend so yeah this sucks Anyway, uh, they get back to the beach. Uh, BD can at least walk now. And and there's this really kind of funny moment where Joanna sort of comforts Katniss. So it's on page, this, this moment's on page 236. Uh, we circle around the cornucopia, scrutinizing the jungle. It has a baffling uniformity. I remember the tall tree that looked, that took the first lightning strike at 12 o'clock. But every sector has a similar tree. Joanna thinks to follow Anabaria's and Brutus's tracks, but they have been blown or washed away. There's no way to tell where anything is. I should have never mentioned the clock, I say bitterly. Now they've taken that advantage away as well. Only temporarily, says Beatty. At ten, we'll see the wave again and be back on track. Yes, they can't redesign the whole arena, says Peta. It doesn't matter, says Joanna impatiently. You had to tell us or we never would have moved our camp in the first place, brainless. Ironically, her logical, if demeaning, reply is the only one that comforts me. Yes, I had to tell them to move. Come on, I need I need water. Anyone have a good gut feeling? Okay, so uh, Finnick and Katniss uh, go to the jungle where it'll be safe to get water. And I'm just going to read the last couple pages of the chapter. Uh, it's a bit long, but I couldn't figure out the best way to condense it, and I think Katniss's internal monologue here is important to note, and as usual, something happens at the end of the chapter. As I stand there, weapons ready, I can't lose the uneasy feeling that something is going on and that it has to do with PETA. I retrace her steps, starting from the moment the gong rang out, searching for the source of my discomfort. Finnick towing PETA off in his off his metal plate, Finnick reviving Peta after the force field stopped his heart. Mags running into the fog so that Finnick could carry Peta, the morphling hurling herself in front of him to block the monkey's attack. The fight with the careers was so quick, but didn't Finnick block Brutus's spear from hitting Peta, even though it meant taking Anabaria's knife in his leg? And even now, Joanna has him drawing a map on a leaf rather than risking the jungle. There's no question about it. For reasons completely unfathomable to me, some of the other victors are trying to keep him alive, even if it means sacrificing themselves. I'm dumbfounded. For one thing, that's my job. For another, it doesn't make sense. Only one of us can get out, so why have they chosen Peta to protect? What has Hamish possibly said to them? What has he bargained with to make them put Peta's life above their own? I know my own reasons for keeping Peta alive. He's my friend, and this is my way to defy the capital, to subvert its terrible games. But if I had no real ties to him, what would make me want to save him, to choose him over myself? Surely he is brave, but we have all been brave enough to survive the games. There is that quality of goodness that's hard to overlook, but still. And then I think of it, what Peta can do so much better than the rest of us. He can use words. 
He obliterated the rest of the field at both interviews, and maybe it's because of that underlying goodness that he can move a crowd, no, a country to his side with the turn of a simple sentence. I remember thinking that was the gift the leader of our revolution should have. Has Hamish convinced the others of this? That Peta's tongue would have far greater power against the capital than any physical strength the rest of us could claim? I don't know. It seems like a really long leap for for some of the tributes. I mean, we're talking about Joanna Mason here, but what other explanation can there be for their decided effort to keep him alive? Katniss, got the spile? Finnick asked, snapping me back to reality. I cut the vine that ties the spile to my belt and hold the metal tube out to him. That's when I hear the scream. So full of fear and pain it ices my blood, and so familiar. I drop the spile, forget where I am or what lies ahead, only know that I must reach her, protect her. I run, run wildly in the direction of the voice, heedless of danger, ripping through the vines and branches, through anything that keeps me from reaching her, from reaching my little sister. Dun dun dun! Okay, not gonna lie, the first time I read this book, I remember sprinting to the next chapter so fast, because like, what?! But we're not going to do that right now because it's time for a break. And we're back. So we pick up right where we left off. Katniss hears Prim screaming for help and naturally freaks out, as anyone would. And it's especially terrifying for Katniss because her whole main motivation from the beginning of the series is keeping her little sister safe. Her volunteering to take Prim's place is what kickstarted this whole thing after all. So, you know, finding Prim in the arena would be like the worst case ever. So Katniss starts screaming uh, Prim's name and chasing the sound of her voice. She runs into a clearing and can hear Prim's voice coming from above her and it's around this time Katniss realizes that the sound isn't coming from Prim herself but from a Jabberjay. Surprise! They're back. Um, thought they went extinct but uh, we know from Ballad that some were collected and kept in Gaul's lab and uh, clearly saved the information so you know you could resurrect the birds at any time you know like they're doing now. And Katniss even notes like how unmut like the Jabberjays look which you know, is the point since the Jabberjays were originally created to spy on the rebels back in the dark days. Uh, Katniss calms down, reminds herself that it's not real, just like the mutts from the previous year, just a trick of the game makers. Uh, by the way, I know Plutarch, like, you had to sell that you were a genius head game maker, but Jesus Christ, this is cruel. Then again, probably did this to remind everyone just how sadistic Snow and the Capitol are or something, but Anyway, uh, Katniss calms down just as Finnick uh, catches up with her. And just as she's about to explain the Jabberjays to him, another voice starts crying out. This time, it's a young woman's voice. And it's clearly meant for Finnick, based on the way he reacts. And he runs off immediately. And so Katniss has no choice but to follow him. Uh, Finnick is fast, and the bird is about a quarter mile away. So it takes Kat does take Katniss a minute to catch up. So uh, by the time she does, Finnick is circling uh, the trunk of a large tree, calling out for someone named Annie. Uh, Katniss finds 
the Jabberjay shoots it and it lands at Finnick's feet and, you know, he realizes what's been going on. Katniss assures him that it wasn't real, that it wasn't Annie, but Finnick isn't reassured because, as he reminds Katniss and us, Jabberjays copy sounds that they hear, so how did they get the sounds of Prim and Annie screaming like that? So yeah, that's not good. And just as Katniss is beginning to process this, she hears Gail's voice and Finnick has to remind her that it's not actually him and they gotta get out of there and the whole thing is just horrifying. Like, I don't know, it, it summed up perfectly on page uh, 343. I stop fighting Finnick, though, and like the night in the fog, I flee what I can't fight. What can only do me harm? Only this time, it's my heart and not my body that's disintegrating. This must be another weapon of the clock. Four o'clock, I guess. When the hands tick-tock onto the floor, the monkeys go home and the Jabberjays come out to play. Finnick is right. Getting out of here is the only thing to do. Although there will be nothing Hamish can send in a parachute that will help either Finnick or me recover from the wounds the birds have inflicted. I catch sight of Peta and Joanna standing at the tree line and I'm filled with a mixture of relief and anger. Why didn't Peta come to help me? Why didn't no one come after us? Even now he hangs back with his hands raised, palms toward us, lips moving but no words reach us. Why? The wall is so transparent, Finnick and I run smack into it and bounce back onto the jungle floor. I'm lucky, my shoulder took the worst of the impact, whereas Finnick hit hit face first and now his nose is gushing blood. This is why Peter and Joanna and even Beatty, who I see sadly shaking his head behind them, have not come to our aid. An invisible barrier blocks the area in front of us. It's not a force field. You can touch the hard, smooth surface all you like, but Peter's knife and Joanna's axe can't make a dent in it. I know without checking more than a few feet to one side that it encloses the entire four to five o'clock wedge that we will be trapped like rats until the hour passes. Peter presses his hand against the surface and I put my own up to meet it as if I can feel him through the wall. I see his lips moving but I can't hear him, can't hear anything outside our wedge. I try to make out what he's saying but I can't focus so I just stare at his face doing my best to hang on to my sanity. So yeah, yikes. Um, Finnick and Katniss are just stuck there till the hour's up and it sucks. Uh, they're stuck listening to the sounds of their loved ones screaming in pain. And Katniss can't even hear Peta on the other side who is clearly trying to comfort her. Finnick gives up almost immediately. Uh, he crouches down on the ground with his hand over his ears just trying to block it all out. Uh, Katniss shoots the birds until she's out of arrows, but more just keep coming. And soon she just has to sit there and wait for the hour to be over. Um, we don't know if Finnick hears any voices other than Annie's, though Katniss hears Prim, Gale, her mother, Madge, and all of Gale's family. Um, when it's finally over, uh, Peta picks up Katniss and holds her until she finally relaxes. Though Katniss is 100% convinced that Prim is being tortured. But Pete assures her that Prim is okay. That it really was just a trick. Because Peter reminds us that they're almost down to the final eight in the games. Because 
when they get to the final eight, they interview everyone's friends and family back home. And, you know, how can they interview Prim if she's dead? Especially now, since the public loves Prim so much, as well as Katniss's cousins. You know, be suspicious if they weren't there. And uh, Beatty confirms that her family's okay, since it's very easy to scramble recorded voices to make sounds like those, because, you know, kids in District 3 learn how to do it, and it's just a trick to rattle Katniss and Finnick. And Joanna has the best response to this. It's on page uh, 346. So Joanna says, Of course Peta's right. The whole country adores Katniss's little sister. If they really killed her like this, they probably have an uprising on their hands, says Joanna flatly. Don't want that, do they? She throws back her head and shouts, Whole country in rebellion! Wouldn't want anything like that! My mouth drops open in shock. No one ever says anything like this in the games. Absolutely, they've cut away from Joanna, are editing her out. But I have heard her, and can never think about her again in the same way. She'll never win any awards for kindness, but she certainly is gutsy. Or crazy. She picks up some shells and heads toward the jungle. I'm getting water, she says. I can't help catching her hand as she passes me. Don't go in there. The birds, I remember the birds must be gone, but I still don't want anyone in there. Not even her. They can't hurt me. I'm not like the rest of you. There's no one left I love, Joanna says, and frees her hand with an impatient shake. Again, why is no one in this series allowed to be happy? Anyway, uh, Joanna goes to collect the water. Finnick um, sits in the ocean water while Beatty fiddles with his wire, leaving Katniss and Peeta to chat. Peeta asks who they used against Finnick and figures it must be Annie Cresta, the girl Max volunteered for, who won five years ago, which was the same year Katniss's father died, so she wasn't really paying close attention to the games that year. Um... But we learned from PETA that that was the year the games ended with an earthquake that broke the dam that flooded that arena. And Annie was the only one left who could swim, so she won. Though, by that point, she had already lost her mind after watching her district partner get beheaded. And she hasn't really been seen in public much since, because, yeah, she's extremely traumatized. Uh, anyway, then a cannon goes off, and they see a hovercraft pick up another body, but they don't know who it is, though they'll soon find out. Um, they show the faces of all the fallen that night. Uh, they see Kashmir, Gloss, Wyrus, Mags, uh, the woman from 5, the Morphling from 6, uh, Blight, and the man from 10. So, 16 victors already dead. Uh, the game makers really want the unpopular games to end quickly, I guess, and, well, game makers but mostly snow probably um so far of this group the careers and shaft are still alive um you know he's still off doing his own thing uh then they get a parachute which is a bread from district three and finnick once again is counting it which still confuses katniss and uh, when they divide them, Joanna once again has the best response. <laughs> she says, let's, ha- let's each have three, and whoever's still alive at breakfast can take a vote on the rest. <laughs> it's okay to laugh, guys. Katniss is laughing, too. <laughs> anyway, uh, they set up camp on the beach after the wave. Uh, Pete and Katniss take first watch uh, since they're the most uh, rested and they want some time alone. 
And once again, there's no way for me to condense the last few pages. And it's also one of the best Everlark scenes. So I have to read it. That That's just that. That's just the way it works, guys. So it starts with Peta saying, Katniss, he says softly. It's no use pretending we don't know what the other one is trying to do. No, I guess there isn't, but it's no fun discussing it either. Well, not for us anyway. The Capitol viewers will be glued to their seat. To... The Capitol viewers will be glued to their sets so they don't miss one wretched word. I don't know what kind of deal you think you've made with Hamish, but you should know he made me promises as well. Of course I know this too. He told Peter they'd keep me alive so he would, so that he wouldn't be suspicious. So I think we can assume he was lying to one of us. This gets my attention. A double deal. A double promise. With only Hamish knowing which one is real. I raise my head. Peter meets my eyes. Why are you saying this now? Because I don't want you forgetting how different our circumstances are. If you die and I live, there's no one, there's no life for me at all back in District 12. You're my whole life, he says. I would never be happy again. I start to object, but he puts a finger to my lips. It's different for you. I'm not saying it wouldn't be hard, but there are other people who'd make your life worth living. Peter pulls the chain with the gold disc from around his neck. He holds it in the moonlight so I can clearly see the mocking jay. Then his thumb slides along the catch. I didn't notice before and the disc popped open. It's not solid as I thought, but a locket. And within the locket are photos. On the right side, my mother and Prim laughing. And on the left, Gail, actually smiling. There is nothing in the world that could break me faster at this moment than these three faces. After what I heard this afternoon... It is the perfect weapon. Your family needs you, Katniss, Peta says. My family, my mother, my sister, and my pretend cousin, Gail. But Peta's intention is clear. That Gail really is my family, or will be one day if I live. That I'll marry him. So Peta's giving me his life and Gail at the same time. To let me know I shouldn't ever have doubts about it. Everything. That's what Peter wants me to take from him. I wait for him to mention the baby, to play to the cameras, but he doesn't. And that's how I know that none of this part and that's how I know that none of this is part of the games, that he's telling me the truth about what he feels. No one really needs me, he says, and there's no self-pity in his voice. It's true his family doesn't need him. They will mourn him, as will a handful of friends, but they will get on. Even Hamish, with the help of a lot of white liquor, will get on. I realize that only one person will be damaged beyond repair if Peta dies. Me. I do, I say. I need you. He looks upset, takes a deep breath as if to begin a long argument, and that's no good. No good at all because he'll start going on about Prim and my mother and everything, and I'll just get confused. So before he can talk, I stop his lips with a kiss. I feel that thing again, the thing I only felt once before in the cave last year, when I was trying to get Hamish to send us food. I, I kissed Peta about a thousand times during those games and after, but there was only one kiss that made me feel something stir deep inside. Only one that made me want more. But my head wound started bleeding and he made me lie down. 
This time there is nothing but us to interrupt us. And after a few attempts, Peter gives up on talking. The, sen the sensation inside me grows warmer and spreads out from my chest, down through my body, out along my arms and legs, to the tips of my being. Instead of satisfying me, the kisses have the opposite effect of making my need greater. I thought I was something of an expert on hunger, but this is an entirely new kind. It's the first crack of the lightning storm, the bolt hitting the tree at midnight that brings us to our senses. It rouses Finnick as well. He sits up with a sharp cry. I see his fingers digging into the sand as he reassures himself that whatever nightmare he inhabited wasn't real. I can't sleep anymore, he says. One of you should rest. Only then does he seem to notice our expressions, the way we were wrapped around each other, or both of you, I can watch alone. Peter won't let him, though. It's too dangerous, he says. I'm not tired. You lie down, Katniss. I don't object because I do need to sleep if I'm to be of any use keeping him alive. I let him lead me over to where the others are. He puts the chain with the locket around my neck, then rests his hand over to the spot where our baby would be. You're going to make a great mother, you know, he says. He kisses me one last time and goes back to Finnick. His reference to the baby signals that our time out from the games is over, that he knows the audience will be wondering why he hasn't used the most persuasive argument in his arsenal, that sponsors must be manipulated. But as I stretch out on the sand, I wonder, could it be more? Like a reminder to me that I could still one day have kids with Gail? Well... If that was it, it was a mistake. Because for one thing, that's never been my part of the plan. And for another, if one of us can be a parent, anyone can see it should be PETA. As I drift off, I try to imagine that world, somewhere in the future, with no games, no capital, a place like the meadow in the song I sang to Rue as she died, where PETA's child could be safe. I mean, she's not wrong. That future will be a thing one day. Peter's child will have a good future, but you're gonna be this uh, child mom, Katniss, anyway. Ah, okay, uh, that's the end of the chapter. That's the end of this episode. It was a bit of a long reading. My mouth is very dry. I need to chug a lot of water after this. Um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, next time will be the end of Catching Fire book. Ah, okay. Uh, how do I wrap? How do I wrap up the episodes, guys? I don't know anymore. Um, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube channel in the show notes. Uh, if you're on YouTube, listening to this, uh, like and subscribe, leave reviews, all that good stuff. It helps boost the algorithms, and so more lovely people like yourselves can find this podcast. Um. Yeah, that's all I got. I don't know. I'm tired, guys. I need to go to bed, but I also need to edit this episode, so wish me luck. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, thank you so much for listening, guys. I really do appreciate this. I love making this podcast, so I hope y'all have a great day slash night, and I will talk to you next time. Bye!